Hello, and welcome to Shattered Lives, an informed, conversational, cutting-edge radio show in touch with today's issues that impact the lives of crime victims, addressing the aftermath of crime, forging a path for hope, building awareness, and empowering listeners for the future. This is Donna Argor, a.k.a. Lady Justice, your host, with my co-host, Alila Jones, president of Imagine Publicity.com, welcoming you to today's show and to our library of weekly archive shows. It is our goal to make a difference. So I welcome everybody. Uh, Happy Saturday. It's a nice Saturday in June here in New England, in Connecticut, where I'm based. And I'm very pleased to uh, let you know that we have a very unique show today. Um, as I said online, it's a it's a party, it's a collaboration, it's a meeting of the minds for um, homicide survivors and for those that represent us. And uh, we have quite quite a, a number of people here, and I'm very pleased to have this forum. Um, I thought it might be um, good because it's part of a um, new collaboration that one of our esteemed colleagues uh, created. But before we uh, get underway, I want to say good afternoon, Delilah. How are you? Hi, Donna. Hi, everyone. It's it's just an honor to be here in the presence of all of you who have, have definitely made a difference in the lives of victims of violent crime all over the country. And to see something like this potentially grow into a stronger, more supportive organization or coalition, whatever you want to call it, I think um, is definitely something that's needed. And I'm I'm very, very pleased to have everyone on board. So I'm not going to take up any time chit-chatting, Donna. I think, you know, our time is is limited and we have a lot of people to get through. Absolutely. But um, so I think, you know, why why didn't this happen earlier? God only knows. But, you know, good ideas spring forth at, at various times in our lives, and I'm just glad we're here and we're all able to communicate, if but for a short hour, and then maybe we can do something in the future. But the person, the person whose dream it was to be able uh, to um, help uh, crime victims across the country um, to maybe help with cold cases, to do referrals. Um, our esteemed colleague, uh, Mr. Uh, Eddie Griffin, um, uh, who who has his own show on Crime Wire on the Blog Talk Radio Network. It was his idea to um, be able to forge a path for hope and to build this coalition, and I believe he got in touch with Pat Caristo. They reached out to me, and I thought that this would be a good uh, way to get people together. So, uh, Denny, I welcome you to Shattered Lives, and thanks so much for the idea. Well, I'm glad to be with you, and I'm glad, uh, not just glad, I'm very excited that after several years we finally reached the point where we're, we're we're talking, and uh, and I certainly hope that uh, something positive will come. This is a positive step in itself, but I hope this is the beginning of uh, of something even more beneficial. And my, uh, I think I got the idea that there should be some mechanism or some process or some ability um, to help survivors of uh, violent crimes, deaths, homicides, murders. Uh, When several years ago, Susan Murphy Milano and I uh, and Delilah opened up uh, the original Crime Wire show on Blog Talk Radio. And during that show, we did uh, a lot of, well, it was a crime show, obviously, Uh, Susan was uh, extremely good and energetic, uh, and she also is a domestic violence expert, so we get into a lot of uh, cases of domestic abuse without a fatality. We get into cold cases, uh, and some of the things we 
discovered was the police in some cases, not certainly I'm pro-cop, pro-law enforcement, and just probably 99% of them do a very great job. But every once in a while, we ran into cases where the investigation that was done didn't seem quite up to snuff. Uh, we would find the people we we spoke with, the families, uh, would tell us that uh, months had gone by and uh, the last known person to have been with their loved one before he or she died had yet to be interviewed. Um, there were no follow-ups, uh, these types of things. And the cases were going cold or had gone cold. And the the families were very frustrated. And another component of that was they were having issues dealing with the police. Uh, the, the detectives would not return their phone calls. They weren't kept informed about what was happening. Uh, there would be hard feelings develop and uh, to make matters even worse. And then uh, all communication would, would virtually stop. Uh, communication right. between the family and, the, and law and the enforcement. the judicial process, Denny, and maybe not not having not having the emotional support, right? Yes. So right. There were so that's where these that's where these groups come in, correct? Where it, that, they they have a component whereby each of them can can help out in some aspect. Where you saw that there were so many deficits, is that right? Well, that's what I'm certainly hoping for, and I'll, I'll tell you, as over the years, as uh, I've pondered the, the situation and met more people and uh, organizations, very difficult because you don't have the, these groups, the, the advocacy groups and so on, are located in different states. There are nowhere near as many of them as I thought. I, I, I thought there would be hundreds. That's not true. Uh, and each each uh, group is dealing with a different legislature. Uh, it's not a one size fits all. You got to deal with the laws and the uh, political situation in in each particular state or jurisdiction, right. and that mm-hmm. that makes it very difficult. I mean, uh, like I say, it's not a one size fits all proposition. Yet again, there is strength in numbers, and. I'm hoping that if uh, the existing groups and maybe bringing in some more are willing to maybe share information or work together, uh, something can be done that will make it easier to get the uh, the message out and the information available to the survivors. And Absolutely. Because some of the horror stories are, are really, well, they both enrage me. And make me want to cry. Uh, it's just, it's pathetic, and something should be done about it. Yeah, well, I, I think it's a very good concept, and, and we're not talking about saving the entire world. I mean, even if we can help out on, on selected pieces, or but we want to be able to do this outreach nationwide, and I think that's the beauty of it. And to have this core group, you know, maybe the, the smallness of it is good. You know, um, because we we know that we know the struggles. So, with that with that very um, good and detailed uh, introduction, I'm going to start because I'm here in Connecticut with Jessica Pisano, um, who is the victim advocate um, for what 10 or 11 years now for survivors of homicide. Yeah, August will be 11. Oh, wow, congratulations. Well, I have to tell you that she does a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful job. And so I'm going to turn it over to you to give a a little bit of the history, a little bit of the demographics, and maybe kind of what makes survivors unique in your opinion, maybe a couple of the challenges. Sure. So uh, Survivors of Homicide was started in 1983 by a group of families that were going through the criminal justice system. And basically what they ended up finding out was that there was nothing available for them. Um, There was no counseling available. There was no victim advocates. There was no support. There was no support groups. There was nothing. 
So they came together and started their own support group. And, you know, they were able to answer each other's questions about the court process and to compare stories to see exactly what it was that was going on with our system. Um, so from 1983, we actually became incorporated in 87. We've been going strong ever since. Um, one of the things that makes us really unique at Survivors is that uh, we're very small, um, and I like to think we're still a very grassroots agency. Um, we are run by one and a half employees, one full-time employee and one part-time employee, uh, my victim advocate, co-victim advocate, Sue Hintz. And we work um, for the entire state of Connecticut. We're pretty much the only organization in the state that does what we do. Um, there are some agencies that handle the clinical aspect, but we're really, really unique. Um, so we are run by essentially volunteers um, who are family and friends of homicide victims. Um, our board of directors are all volunteers. They all have full-time jobs, and they um, act on the board in their spare time, as, as we joke, because we are so all very busy. But it makes us really unique because we all have passion for what we do. Um, we understand, we truly do understand, you know, what other people are going through because everyone in our group has been there. Um, we offer a whole variety of services, everything from support groups to court advocacy to one-on-one -on -one counseling. Um, we help people with compensation. Um, now, it's, there's so many challenges, Donna. You know, it's it's funny. It's I something know. you and I talk about a lot. Um, you know, it, and, and I was there uh, in the beginning. <laughs> mhm. Mm yup. Yeah. And you know, one of the things I say is, yeah, we've come a long way since 1983. I really feel like we have, but I also feel like we have a ways to go. Um, it's just like we were talking about earlier with, you know, we're dealing with, with everyone kind of has different laws. There's different procedures. Um, even in Connecticut, you know, every courthouse is a little bit different. Their protocols and rules are different. And that's just within our state. And that creates, you know, a lot of confusion for victims who are already, you know, going through a lot. So part of our goal here is, you know, to walk the journey with them, especially through the criminal justice system. Um, one of the things that we say here is, you know, we don't we don't really use words like closure ever. It's, you know, things don't get better, things get different. And our goal right. at Survivors is to kind of help people on their journey to build their new life. And if we can, you know, show people that they're not alone, which is very often our motto, you know, that that's a big thing for us. Yeah. Um, a absolutely, and they have uh, they have a very a very good, uh, very informational, um, very impressive website as well. And um, uh, do, do you want to give some basic contact information now, or sure. should we wait to the end? Okay. Um, I can just give it now, and we can repeat okay. it later if we have to. Okay. But um, the, our main uh, number for um, our office is eight six zero two five seven seven three eight eight. And um, our uh, secondary phone number down in New Haven County is 860-324-5679, and that is a way to reach Sue. And our website is www.survivorsofhomicide.com. Um, we also have a Facebook group. Uh, if you just search for Survivors of Homicide, Inc. of Connecticut, you'll pull us up through there. Okay, that's that's great. Well, thank you so much for that synopsis. And there's there's so much they they have support support groups around the the state, et cetera, uh, that meet every month as well, and fundraising, golf tournament, and uh, so you know they are very active and they're very close to my heart. Obviously, why don't we um, mix it up a little bit and go all the way across the country? Um, <laughs> For Citizens Against Homicide, and I believe the president is right, uh, the serving president is Jan Miller, correct? That is correct. Hi, I'm Jan Hi, Miller. Hi, Jan. And uh, it's good to uh, be with you to all today. I'm very excited that you are trying to put this coalition together. Um, and we definitely, Citizens Against Homicide, want to be a part of it. Um, I know quite a few years back when we met, I met you, Donna, and, and uh, Danny, and we tried to put something together then, and it, it, um, we, we got onto the, the show, but it, we never seemed to be able to move it forward. So I'm really excited that you're giving it a, another shot. Well, me too. <laughs> so this is, my, <laughs> this is my nudge here. Um, so so ahead, um, I'll tell, tell you 
I'll tell you a little bit about Citizens Against Homicide. We started in 1994. Um, my friend Jane Alexander and myself uh, co-founded the organization. Um, I got involved because my daughter, who was murdered in uh, 1984, um, it was an unsolved crime, and it was, um, you know, one of those things we were working all the time with the police. Jane had the, um, her aunt was murdered, and she had the, the murderer in jail, but we, she couldn't get him to trial. So together we decided maybe we could work on this and help other people to learn and share what we learned going through the process. And I have to agree with the, the comments of Jessica. We never use the word closure when we're talking to the victims. Um, it's just a new way of life. It's, a, it's an acceptance of the change and the new way to, to move forward with your life. And we are there to help the families realize that um, they're not alone. So the, what's different maybe about us is that we work with the families to keep the murderers in prison since we work only with murder cases. And um, once in a while we get involved in a what we believe will be a murder case or what has been, but it hasn't been declared such with a missing person or something like that. But since we deal only with uh, murder cases, we work very hard to keep the murderers in prison and not let them out on early parole. We also have a billboard program that we have here in California, and we have used the program, I want to say in Ohio and and I think in New Mexico, but I could be wrong on that, um, where we uh, show uh, the picture of the victim and the reward monies and different information and numbers that they can call to provide us with uh, with information. And they don't actually call us. They do call the police that are working on the case so that um, the, the, there's no, no confusion with bad information coming not directly from the person. And uh, it's a very clear clear path for, uh, for data for the police. Mm -hmm. so that's, that's what makes us a, a, a little bit different. Um, I agree with you so much on the, the differential in, in the laws and... Um, because I got involved in this back originally in 1986, shortly after my daughter's murder, we so much depends on who your legislators are. Um, back then, we had Governor Pete Wilson, who was uh, just so, so supportive of victims. Then we had Gray Davis, who was equally supportive of victims. And then we had um, Arnold Schwarzenegger, who was very supportive of victims. And now we have the worst human being in the entire world. We have Jerry Brown, and he will do nothing for victims. He has refused all conversations with uh, Jean, Shelley, myself. He will not is talk to us. Is that right? What, he what will, excuse does he give? <laughs> well, he, he says he is for victims, but every piece of legislature that he signs is totally against victims. It is all for the prisoners. He is letting every prisoner he can out of prison. He is reducing the, the, the definitions of crimes to make crimes not be serious um, in order to let these monsters out of prison. And, and we're in a state here in, in, this, in California. I mean, the victims here are so frustrated. We just met last um, a week ago, and uh, we were saying, how, how are we going to try to let the public know what terrible things are happening in this state? And the, wow. the problem is there is no one that's willing to talk out against Jerry Brown, not legislators, not newspapers. Um, so it's, it's very frustrating. We write things, of course, in our newsletter. We do a, a bi-monthly newsletter. But, you know, we're, we're preaching to the choir. Right. That's the problem. How do we get it past that? So, so well, that's maybe that's a question dilemma. for the coalition too. I mean, you know, the, with everyone putting their heads together, and just I just wanted to ask you quickly as well as how many how many families or victims approximately do, do you serve per year? Do you have some idea? Oh, um, I I see per year. I don't know. I would have to say we probably talk to. Um, maybe 10 new families a month. Uh, Jean and Shelley do most of the talking to the new families. Uh, mm -hmm. I do less of it. 
Um, right. But we're with regard to the paroles. You see, they're ongoing. They're you know they're coming and they're coming up more and more frequently yeah. uh, because of these these new horrible policies that we're having. So those are, I speak more to those people. And um, and then with regard to the billboards, because he, this governor hasn't given us any more monies, what we're doing is we're going back to the older families where we had older um, billboard monies and the money is still there and we're we're redoing them uh, in the hope of, you know, generating some kind of, uh, of, of interest or wow. information to come forward. It's um, it, It's been a... a I guess if I were to look back, I would say that in the state of California, we have regressed back to the days prior to the Rosebird Court. I don't know how, how old everyone is here, but um, <laughs> uh, back to those days when um, when the state just really was in a in a a, a state of total corruption uh, with regard to crime, and I think we have gone all the way back. And all the good things we did during the 80s and 90s have been flushed down the toilet. I am so I am I am shocked. I'm upset. I'm so sorry. Um, my heart is sorrowful to hear this. So we really do need to, you know, be aware of this. Now, uh, Jessica, can you just tell me quickly how many people approximately do you, does your office serve per month, or in terms of membership, just so that people would know? Yeah, um, it's weird because we track our statistics a little differently um, because of uh, the VOCA funds that we receive. But um, going back, we do you know some annual reports every year, and we average probably serve about one between 150 for new homicide clients a year, and probably close to 250 um, ongoing homicide clients a year. But, then, you know, just, again, that's the way that our statistics go. But if we're talking about brand-new families who have experienced a loss, um, you know, it can very much vary. But uh, an example is, you know, even last week, I got three calls last week from people who had lost loved ones the previous week. Um, so yeah. just, you don't ever know sometimes. Um, you know, last month I got a call from someone who lost someone 35 years ago. Um, so you just don't know at what point someone's going to reach out for help. Right. That's another very good point. It's not all brand new people. There's people who have, you know, our loss was 36 years ago, and that's true. They might need help now. Um, Leslie, would you like to go next? Yes, sure. Thank you all. It's a pleasure to be with you on the phone. I'm glad that Pat got a hold of me for this. This is great because I will say I will find that the struggle is finding services such our agencies across the nation because we do get calls from everywhere in the country. And, and, and tell people where you're from. Yeah, so I work for <laughs> Victim Support Services. We are based out of Washington State. We were founded in 1975. Um, it started actually with 13 families that were missing loved ones. They were kind of frustrated with the criminal justice process, um, the offenders having more rights than the victims. It was during the Ted Bundy era, so there was a lot of families just feeling lost and not sure what to do. So um, one of our co-founders, Lola, she actually contacted a journalist who was in contact with these other families going through similar situations, and she kind of formed this group at a church initially So these families got together and just were there to support each other and talk about their frustration. And so now, 42 years later, here we are. Um, We've come a long way, but we also still have a lot more work to do. We provide services in five counties in Washington State. We are actually the oldest of our kind in Washington and one of the first in the nation. We also run the 24-hour hotline, which is the Washington State Crime Victim Service Center hotline. And last year alone, we got about 2,800 calls on the hotline, and I expect it to increase even more. Um, But like I said, we get a lot of calls from all over the country, and I go to look for help for individuals, and I just can't find any help, you know, for the community-based organizations or the people, maybe they don't get to go through the criminal justice process because there was no arrest made, um, and those victims kind of fall off the radar. So what happens with them? And so I just find 
that it's a huge struggle to refer these individuals for an agency outside of the prosecutor's office. So it's, it's certainly difficult and frustrating. And certainly a lot of people in our community aren't aware of our services. We've struggled with that. And honestly, before I got into victim advocacy, I had no clue it existed. I randomly drove by our agency and I was like, what is that? So I had to do mm-hmm. some research. I had no clue myself. And How so many staff do you just, have? Right now we have 11 full-time staff and actually 11 volunteers as well. So Wait. mostly wow. volunteers manage the hotline. We have four staff members that also manage the hotline and answer calls 24 hours. Um, and I'm excited starting July 1, we will now be offering text messaging so people can text our hotline any time of day because we all know that texting is huge. Um, so we just want another outlet for people because it's not easy calling a crisis hotline and asking for help. So we just want as many mediums as possible for victims. And we're really just been working hard on making people known about us. We actually created law enforcement cards. They're like small business size cards. And we handed out 40000 within the last couple months to different law enforcement agencies and the counties we serve, hoping that eventually it will be a habit for them to hand these out to the victims because, you know, it's mandated for the domestic violence and sexual assault victims to get resources on victim advocates. But what about all the other crimes, homicide and all the other general crimes? So we're just trying to spread the word more about that and work with law enforcement officers, go into trainings and things like that because people really just don't know we exist and it's a struggle. Even 40 you, years later, we have a hard time. Do you serve, so you serve more than homicide, definitely. You're yes. just saying um, intimate partner violence, um, domestic violence, um, other, other types of violent crime as well? So we do all crime types except domestic violence and sexual assault. So okay. we do anything from identity theft, property crimes, you name it. Mostly homicide, um, and we have okay. unfortunately experienced three mass shootings here in our community within the last two and a half years. So um, Victim Support Services has been one of the main and first responders to all of the mass tragedy around here. So our focus is definitely homicide, but we've since expanded um, within the last year or so. When you say three mass shootings, within Washington State? Yeah, well, specifically in the regions that we serve. So there was a shooting at a high school, Marysville Pilchuck High School. There was also a shooting at a house party in Muckleteo, Washington, last summer. And then also this past fall, there was a shooting at a mall, Cascade Mall, that killed five people. Wow. So yeah. you're just, you're inundated. Wow. Oh, definitely. Definitely. But it's kind of interesting. Go ahead. Go ahead. I I, I wanted to ask, how how does this is Jan Miller? I'm sorry. Jan. Okay. Um, Jan. Leslie. Hi, Jan. When with these with these uh, mass shootings at the high school, the house party, in the mall, how how does the press this? How how do they how do they um, how, how much coverage do they give you? And and are they of a help to you, or are they do they let people know that you are around to help, or do they just um, kind of replay the first, Focus you know, the, the, the most, well, I, I'm not even thinking about if they've even got the perp, but, but do they, or they just try mm-hmm. to, to keep replaying the violent shock of what happened over and over oh, again, gosh. as opposed to going a little bit to the next level of how can these families be helped and, and things of letting people know about you. Right. Yeah. I find that they tend to focus on the violence and not as much our agency. I will say there are some new uh, news agencies near us that are great and always support us and certainly always mention our services. Um, But for the Cascade Mall shooting that happened in the fall, they released the video of the shooting and none of the victims or the families were warned ahead of time. And it was just all over the news. So it was awful. It was awful. And so, we all know what happens with that and you know wow. so that and I, and I will say too you know there's so many shootings in the nation and for the Marysville Pilchuck High School one it got some coverage but I feel like there wasn't as much coverage compared to others and maybe because it's just all too common these days 
Um, but yeah, typically they focus on the violent part of it, unfortunately, and the offender and their families and what they're dealing with. Right. 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 Wow. Yeah. Well, well, that's the, you know, it's kind of interesting to me that so you you have you have this hotline that you focus on. Um, mm-hmm. Citizens Against Homicide has the whole uh, parole aspect and keeping keeping those um, perpetrators in check. Survivors of Homicide in Connecticut has a bit of a different focus. And so we each deal with these populations, but we have sort of the specialty area. Now, we mm-hmm. haven't heard yet from Pat. Pat, why don't you tell us about what you're doing in um, uh, New Mexico? Hi, everybody, and I'm thrilled to hear what everybody's doing. And we do a little bit like everybody does. Um, Our agency, the Resource Center for Victims of Violent Death, has been in existence five years. Uh, We have processed approximately 500 calls, but we do three different things. We'll refer, we'll um, uh, do an outreach, Um, or we'll take them on as clients, or we'll collaborate with another agency. So we have about 75 active clients every year. Uh, um, We we evolved into this agency from my work, former law enforcement, and then private investigation, and years ago on a well-known case in our area, um, uh, I started doing unsolved homicide investigations at no charge to the family. And uh, through that, we got involved with real crimes, and and, uh, some of you might know those titles. And I also did support for an organization that existed some years ago in New Mexico called Survivors of Homicide. And they went out of business, uh, and so five years ago somebody said, there's no one helping these families. Would you put uh, your investigations business aside and and start the resource center. So that's what I do. Uh, we are funded by donations. We are funded by VOCA. I heard um, uh, Jessica mention VOCA. Uh, right. That's Victims of Crime Act uh, funding. And then I also do background checks for nonprofits and some churches as a way of bringing money in into our agency. So we do things a little different too, but we that's have. Group- a, that's a really creative uh, thing. Um, it, it is. It is creative yeah. <laughs> that it takes a lot of time, and we we time. like Jessica uh, only have well we have one a half a half and a quarter person <laughs> as far as time. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> well, it means we have a twenty hour a week, a twenty hour a week, and a ten hour a week. And that's all we have to do these victim services. We do have when when you uh, we do have some volunteers, but they don't work directly with clients. So um, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Our victim advocate, who is also a victim, goes to court with clients. We do home visits. Um, we do support uh, services. For example, if there's issues. Financial issues will write letters to say these people are going through a tremendous problem. Can you help with them? It's amazing the financial impact from a violent death on a family just to try to get their loved one out of uh, the funeral home. The costs are. Uh, yeah. mm-hmm. And and we had one case of a of a mother who had her husband and daughter. Their bodies were in a care a, a funeral home, and she didn't have the money to get them out, and and had to do cake baking sales and other fundraisers to get her her families released from to be able to be buried. Correct. I, I mean wow, that, wow. that that's such the, the the impact after a violent death is amazing, and and people don't understand what happens and uh and then there's a whole set of families that get caught up in the criminal justice system as Denny was mentioned but almost half or more have no resolution because there's never an arrest or an offender identified and they have nowhere to go 
so it the the, the need is vast it's different uh we can't possibly do any uh outreach here for court and uh, law changing and that kind of thing because when you take voca funds you can't do that so we're not approaching from the standpoint that uh Jan talked about which is fascinating so everybody's doing a good job, and a handful of people are helping a lot of families. And thank yeah. you, guys. Wow. Um, let's, we are, are we doing okay on time, Delilah? I think we still have a, um, a, a, a good chunk of time left, right? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. I'm, good. You know, I would like to throw something out there at this point since everyone is introduced and and all of this Two things, um, and and anyone can answer or you can all answer in your own way. What do you feel as you're doing this? And some people, you know, longer than others and some organizations longer than others. What is the greatest need that these victims and families have for support? And the other part of the question is how have you seen any progress and how much progress in the area of victims' rights? Because that, to me, is is so important. Yeah, very good questions. Yeah, who who would like to take that first? This is Pat. Well, I'd like to, I'd like oh, to good. jump in okay. just a minute to celebrate the fact that something new is happening here in Albuquerque. We have a district attorney, uh, Mr. Raul Torres. He's with the Second Judicial District. He is the first district attorney I have ever heard that talks about how can we support the victim. And he is now getting his uh, judicial district uh, to create a program of getting volunteers housed in the district attorney's office that will help victims, not the offenders, not the accused, but the actual victims of crime, talking with them, providing them information, referral, we're going to be part of that. Uh, but to hear somebody say that victims have needs and we need to help meet them is wonderful. How, re- how refreshing. Yeah, uh, I that guess is amazing. That's a similar wonderful. program in Tucson. That's great. Uh, From Tucson? But that's the only one that I know of. Okay. Um, okay, Jan, did you did you want to address the questions that were just posed by Delilah? Well, I you know I guess I'm the the horrible voice of gloom and doom because um, as I stated earlier, uh, there at this point there is nothing positive going on in in our state, um, and I all I see are the needs greater, and our organization is 100% volunteer. And um, all of our funds are are through, you know, donations, our, you know, annual golf charity and and things like that. Um, And, you know, I guess what it really, what we need is we need to find out um, from Pat how this DA, is he a new DA? Is he newly elected? We, We all need to find ways to get DAs elected that are going to talk like her DA. He is brand newly uh, elected, and we were at a AIA Advocacy in Action training, and he did a presentation to the group, and everybody sat there, the 500 people there, sat there with their jaws down on their chests to hear somebody talking about victims. And what is kind of... So I kind of feel lucky, Donna, that in our sense, um, mm-hmm. our state's attorneys are actually, they're not elected, they're um, appointed. And right, they are usually appointed. they are very well trained. They've been doing this for a very long time, and they tend to be the best of the best. So uh, we're really lucky. And um, I think something else that's really wonderful and I love is that every courthouse in the state, um, there might be a couple vacancies right now, but every courthouse in the state has at least one victim advocate who is an independent person who has nothing to do with uh, the state's attorney or the defense. It's a victim advocate who is solely there to provide support for the victim. Hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful, wonderful. That, that is good. What What would you say is, is the is the biggest barrier? And I don't mean to put you on the spot because I know, no. you know. <laughs> well, honestly, I mean, it's just, it's funding. 
And I think the right. big barrier that we're starting to face right now is a huge reduction in state funding right now. Our, and our it, state it's is going to trickle down. Straits financially. Very yeah, much so. and, and it's going to trickle down, and it's and it always starts with victim services. Um, I think we've made some wonderful strides, even in the 11 years that I've been doing this. You know, we've got right. um, our Office of Victim Services has helplines that people can call. I mean, that was just unheard of before. But if we keep making those cuts, those are the kind of positions right. that are going to get cut first, and we're going to start losing victim advocates in the courthouses, and they are crucial. They are needed there. Right. I, and I wonder, too, um, from uh, how many states that are represented here have a state constitutional victim advocate? Connecticut does, and, you know, the, the person we know best um, who was former uh, and now in Massachusetts, uh, M- Michelle Cruz is a very good friend of ours and of the show and has helped our family personally very, very much. And I know there's a new person in that position, Jessica, but do all of you have, besides your regular victim services, do you have a state constitutional victim advocate? We do not. We In California, we, we have a victim witness service that works under the district attorney's office. And so that service for victims is as good as that district attorney is because if the district attorney is taking his lead from the governor, which is your your typical, you know, the way right. the, the laws go down, you know, mm-hmm. we Italians say the the fish rots, uh, you know, from the head down. So when <laughs> so the 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 if the DA is still a good DA, even though he's got gov- Governor Jerry Brown as a governor, he will still have a good system within his his particular district to have uh, good victim witness services and he will have people that will help the families when a parole comes up to to have one of his people go to those parole hearings to help those families. But if you're in one of those other districts, you know, uh, just different counties, we call them counties here, um, then you will have no no additional support and the the victim witness people are very limited and they're just they're just not um, out doing the job that we would like them to be doing. Yeah. How about you, Leslie? Um, it, does your state, do you have constitutional victim advocates? We're actually similar to California with the different counties and victim witness advocates in the prosecutor office. And some of them we have really great uh, relationships with and others can be territorial actually um, which can be very frustrating and a struggle for us but um, yeah we have a lot of great prosecutors and actually we have a few on our board which is nice and can come in handy to kind of help be a voice for us when it comes to the other prosecutors in the different counties that we serve. And to make sure the constitutional rights are upheld because not all states have a, uh, have the you know the, the state constitutional victim rights. I've forgotten what the actual n- number is in terms of the 50 states. Jessica, maybe you know better than I have forgotten. I, but um, that is that is very important to have that, that person, right? Yeah, I think I want to say I think most states do now. If there's any, now, it might right. be like one or two. I could and be wrong, it. but I'm almost sure. I think the the bigger problem, and even I think a big problem we face in Connecticut, it's, it's wonderful that we have these constitutional rights, but there's no teeth attached to it. So right. even if something does happen and, and someone's rights are violated, there's nothing that can that can be done. And um, I'll always think of you know we have we've had situations come up where families were not notified and people were sentenced um, type mm-hmm. of situation, and it was really unfortunate. But there's nothing Thing that could yeah, there's have been no done consequences. Yeah, right. that, and that is no, a problem. For being so I'm, so I'm supporting what's being said, and I just wanted to repeat that yes, New Mexico has a state where victim rights are identified, but it only applies when there is an offender identified and you're in the court process. If you yeah. have no offender identified in your case, you have no enumerated rights uh, other than. Yeah your you know right to be treated as a citizen but but no victim rights uh the two programs that are helpful that we have here in New Mexico and I I think it's around as Vine and Savin where you have the victim notification right. of 
they, and those are good programs, and they, they can help uh, families be identified about times. But again, if there is no identify, ident- no suspect identified, nothing happens for those families. They are just mm-hmm. uh, alone. And one of the things that we try to do is work with the, the uh, homicide units by saying refer your cases to us because we can give them the support that they call you for. They need somebody to talk to, so the only number they have is the detective's number. And they, the detective can't help them when they're falling apart and when it's an anniversary date or they're just mourning and grieving. So if they call us, we can get them through that part so that the only thing the detective has to work with them on is the case itself. That takes some of the burden off of the detective, and and that can be helpful in many cases. Yeah, definitely. Go ahead. Oh, I would say yes, Pat. That we do the same thing here in California. That we let the detectives know if you let them connect them with us, we will talk to the family. We will help the family to understand the process of you know why they're not getting as much information from the police as they believe they should get, and we work as that in between person. And it, that's very very helpful to both the family and to the police. That's we do the same thing. Yes. Exactly. And we try to do the same thing at survivors, too. Um, you know, as, you, as everyone knows, you know, every police department is different, and there are some that are territorial and don't want to, you know, pass information along. But um, something that's really helpful that we have in state is a notification card. And basically it's just this little piece of, uh, little piece of paper that's about the size of an index card, and it has all sorts of crime victim resources listed on it. And when police officers respond to a scene of the crime, they're supposed to hand the victim that card so that they have resources. Um, but we try very hard to to do outreach to police departments one-on-one, meeting mm-hmm. with, you know, their, their crime unit and, and telling them the same thing. Let us help you. You know, let us be your, right. your liaison because we understand that you have a job to do and we can, you know, we can hold the hand when, when you guys can't do that and try to help you both, you know, try to have a relationship with each other. Right. Well, it sounds to me I'm trying to sort of in my head process the the different themes here that may be some of the challenges like what uh, Delilah had asked about. So there's just this, if if, if I'm correct, and I believe we have, just to let people know, we have about 12 minutes left of our show. Um, we, We have here the sheer volume of cases and crime. Mm-hmm. We have the the financial challenges, um, mm-hmm. and by virtue of the fact that maybe a couple of us receive VOCA funds, but basically in the majority, we're we're relegated to have to be doing fundraising as nonprofits. Um, even in the missing persons world, we we just alluded to that last week. We you have to spend a lot of time doing that in order to, you know, survive as an organization. Um, And if you don't have your politicians, your legislators who are supportive or your elected DAs and your, excuse the expression, dead in the water here um, in terms of making progress. So um, what are some other things maybe that we haven't touched upon? And then I want to throw it back to our original concept creator, Denny, to, 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 to get your thoughts about now that we know a little bit more about these groups, except unfortunately, I guess our Minnesota people weren't able to call in. Maybe you could talk to them individually. Um, where do you go from here? You know, But are there some other main themes that someone would like to bring up as a group here while we have a few more minutes? I'd like to mention something something that's interesting as an investigator's point of view, and I teach uh, teach a class at UNM continuing education and do some other teaching about investigation, and and the homicide solve rate is very interesting. Um, Ten years ago, maybe a little more than that, the homicide solve rate was 90% because you're mostly killed by someone you know and love. And so if you know who the victim is and know who's attached to the victim, the cases were getting solved. 
in the last 10, 20 years, people are now killing people for no reason uh, with drugs, with other Mm. uh, synthetic uh, drugs and and whatever. So now the the homicide solve rate is down into the 75, uh, 80%. Uh, because there's no way to know why the victim was killed and who killed them. So, so what a three a three killing or a mass killing, as as as, as Leslie was alluding to, what they have these it, or just random killings. things, for no reason, because right. mm-hmm. it's gang initiation. It's because somebody was under the influence and just struck out. It, it's uh, it, we have a lot of those here in New Mexico. Well, another thing I wanted to bring up, the fact we had had Bill Thomas on, who, whose sister was killed in the, um, Delilah, help me with the name of the road there. Um, Colonial in, in Parkway Virginia. in Virginia. Colonial yeah. Parkway, Colonial Parkway murders over 30 years ago. And, and he's very in, involved with this. And the fact that these cold cases too, and with the, the fact that, Funds are not going to states anymore for cold case units, and Connecticut is one of those. Correct, Jessica, that the funds are not there. That 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 you he was saying how you have to become your own advocate, your almost your own investigator, so to speak, to keep it out there in the media to do all of these things because our cold case units are going away as well. And the other fact was that, that I found fascinating, was that the FBI is putting all of their eggs in the basket of terrorism and uh, and that kind of thing, where they used to have people that were solving cold case homicides. Isn't that what he said, Delilah? Am I correct in that, if you remember? Uh, yeah, in a nutshell, yes. That's about what he said, and that's very true. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> so did you know that? And so it's like, you know, going back on these cold cases, you used to have help with the FBI, but their whole priority has changed because of terrorism and other things in their dollars and these cold case units across the country who have been very good and very active are going away because of lack of funding. Yeah, you got it, Donna. And even in, in Connecticut, I mean, we had a wonderful, wonderful unit down in on the southeastern part of the state, as well as through the state police unit, and they're getting caught across the board. And actually, Sue and I have been working on a project, and um, Sue has pretty much been, been really spearheading this. She came up with this great idea that we want to start looking at the amount of unsolved homicides there are in the state of Connecticut. Um, we've been crunching these numbers for almost a year now, and we've we've basically figured out that there's about 1,100 unsolved homicide missing person mm-hmm. cases in the state of Connecticut and we're losing more and more resources out there and we're actually trying to put a committee together at some point that we can evaluate these cases and, and see if we can make a change and, and maybe you know get some more support for them. Absolutely. We are a small state state comparatively speaking. I would say probably only three million we used to be three and a half million, but everyone's moving out so I would say we're probably three million now in our small, small, densely populated state. So that does not bode well. So with that, Mr. Griffin, Denny, I was wondering what comments would you have after we've gotten all of this great information? Well, as uh, I'm, I said I was excited at the start of the show to have this uh, this event, and I'm more excited after having listened. To uh, to the guests, it's good I, information, huh? It absolutely is, and I'll, I'm going to throw my two cents in here, if it's okay, about some things sure. I was thinking about. Okay. Uh, I I hope that there will be a follow up to this show. It, it can be another uh, BTR show. It could be something we could set up through the free conference call uh, program or whatever. But I hope there's a follow up to this. And some of the things that I would like to see, uh, one thing I, I think if there's any way possible to do it, we need the movement, if you will, needs national exposure. Uh, if we could in, interest a, a journalist, a media person, a, a 
say a show like 2020 or uh, or that type of a program, 60 Minutes, uh, Dateline. Uh, if we could get a reporter to take an interest in what we've discussed today, I, national exposure would be great. Uh, that would be great. You know, uh, and I, I think that's a possibility. Now, I don't know if any of us are media types we, that would know the right way to go about trying to get attention of uh, well, someone like that, but I think that would be a great thing. Yeah, I, I, I think that would be good, too. I don't know if we could accomplish it. I know we, that we know a few people. But in terms of how best to approach them, I'm not sure. Maybe Delilah, you have some ideas on that. I don't know. But well, um, if you want to do something like that, it, it, it's not that difficult. It would be wise if you come up with some sort of a a very brief couple of paragraphs pitch letter and explain what it is that you are wanting to do and what how you want to go about it and what. Uh, why is it news, and why should this person be involved in it? I mean, you have to you have to kind of hook them in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and another thing, there are crime magazines that that might run an article. I mean, if, if uh, you're through their personnel, you could write an article and submit it, and, and see if they would uh, put it in one of their editions. Uh, that of course is the target audience. Yeah. Um, so that that could be a good thing. Uh, if anybody remembers Morgan Harrington, uh, she was yeah. a, I believe was Virginia Tech student that was murdered after going to a concert right. uh, several years ago. And when her killer finally killed another girl, uh, that's when the DNA came into play, and uh, they were able to charge him with Morgan's murder as well. Well, Jill Harrington, uh, Morgan's mother, and I have been in contact uh, periodically, and uh, she has an organization called Help Save the Next Girl. And Now, this isn't victim services, but it's an awareness program, and they go to different colleges and high schools and so forth and, and talk to the to the students and try to tell them about awareness and how not to become a victim. And they've done a wonderful job um, – getting legislation passed, especially about the collection of DNA from arrestees, where it's mandatory now. And so when I was telling her about uh, what we were trying to do, she said that, you know, her expertise, what she's learned about trying to get the laws changed or new laws enacted, that she'd be happy to give us a hand as far as advice, uh, mm-hmm. you know, of maybe some things that could be done. Again, this was a state thing; it wasn't a national right in Virginia. Uh, law. Yeah, and they have accomplished quite a bit, and it's a very impressive organization. And she she has been on on this this show as well. I'm very proud to say she's a wonderful person. There are so many great nonprofits out there. I, I tell you. Um, I'm just so proud to be affiliated with so many people. So that 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 is a good idea, Denny. And how about this? How about uh, if for free, uh, you know, obviously everybody's having trouble with funding and so forth, so we don't want to get into expense. But what if uh, maybe a Facebook page or something and list there everything we can find out for resources for victims. That was obviously the organizations that are represented here would be on there. But anything we know where people can go and, and give website information or that type of thing, and then, uh, you know, kind of a one-stop shopping, uh, let, let people go to that page and see all the different things that might be available to them now that they don't know about. Right. I, I almost wonder if that already exists somewhere, but I kind of think our small group with, with basically nonprofits, maybe that doesn't exist. You know, I'm sure there are state, you know, regional and state uh, resources that they list, um, you know, a very big comprehensive list. But um, I think maybe you're right that the kind of list you're talking about for for these groups here does not exist any. So you may be right about that. So I, that's I think worth that's checking good. into. Yeah, it's it certainly is. I think it's food for thought. So you know, I I would be more than happy 
to um, if you want to spearhead an, another show or if you want to do, you know, a conference call or whatever it is. Um, but I just thought this was a good way for me to make my initial contribution to your dream. <laughs> and I think it's a good dream. I think it could be a reality. Um, and we don't want to be too lofty in our goals, everyone. Something that we can, you know, realistically reach, knowing everybody has such busy lives. But I think if everybody makes some kind of a contribution, that would be great. And just make the ability to stay in touch and to try to help somebody on whatever level is so important. And I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just so pleased that we we were able to do this and bring people together. So does everyone um, does everyone have each other's information? I know that Pat sent out mailings, um, you know, packets. But is there information that you'd want to kind of give a shout out now and you grab your pencil and paper and say, okay, what's your number? What's your email right now? Why don't we? Why don't we do that quickly so that we have it and then you all privately can can communicate with each other. And if you, I'll be an intermediary or whatever you want me to do. I'm just glad that we could do this initial outreach, ladies and gents. I think that's a great idea. Um, I'll give you mine. It's jan at citizensagainsthomicide.org. And the phone number is 415-308-9413. Okay, good. Who who wants to go next? Uh, We're the Resource Center for Victims of Violent Death in New Mexico. Uh, Our website is bridgesforvictimsofviolentdeath.org. We're 505-243-2222. And I would ask if somebody uh, smarter than I would put these numbers together and and do a, uh, what do you call that when you do a group mailing and everybody's on the same one so that that it's all there in one one email? Oh, a mail merge or something? <laughs> yeah, something maybe, like maybe Maybe Donna could do that since I think she has all of our, you have all of our information and send out one uh Well, there's just email. a list. There is the list that Pat sent me about the group people. I do have that. Um, you know, so, okay, who who else would like to share their uh, – how about you, Jessica, why don't you give it again? Yeah, sure. Um, so, again, our, our website is www.survivorsofhomicide.com, and our phone numbers are 860-257-7388. And eight six zero three two four five six seven nine. Okay. And, and my email address is also on the website as well under contact, but it's uh, survivors at snet dot net. And did everybody get your full name? Oh, I don't know. It's a Jessica Pisano. P i z a n n o. Yeah, great. Um, who hasn't given their contact information? This is Leslie. Leslie. Um, my last, yes. Yeah, I would like to. So my last name is McPherson, for those of you that don't know. Our website is www.victimsupportservices.org. And my email is Leslie, L-E-S-L-I-E, at victimsupportservices.org. Our main office number is 425 252 Six zero eight one, and the twenty four hour hotline is eight 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 two eight eight nine two two one. Great. Is there anybody else left from the list here? Me. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't have a you know an organization, so I'll, I'll just give you my email. It's you are Griff. an organization. <laughs> Unto myself, yeah. It's Griff, G-R-I-F-F, 1945 at hotmail.com. Yes, and I am my own conglomerate, Lady Justice, <laughs> Donna R. Gore. Um, uh, I'm at Lady Justice 16738 at sbcglobal.net. And um, DonnaGore.com, my website, Imagine Publicity, you can get me through there. 
you can get me through Delilah, whatever. Okay, um, and I so I think that just about wraps it up for today. I'm very pleased with what we've accomplished, and it's such a pleasure to have all of you. Uh, I, I think we did this rather easily, and, and it was a pleasure. So, Jenny, you know, you are the man, and you're spearheading this. So why don't we all think about things in the meantime and what kind of contribution you'd like to make or contact, and then we can reconnect about what you want to do, you know, as a second vehicle of communication. How does that sound? Great. Perfect. Thank you. Does that sound yeah. good? That sounds wonderful, yeah. Sounds okay, great. So sounds let's, great. Yeah, but let's all of us keep in touch. So, Delilah, thank you so much for doing the board, being the producer. And um, um, I think this is a very valuable show, so please be sure and pass it around with, with your people, and uh, we'll be in touch have a great weekend, everyone, and thank, thank you, you until too. we arrive at the next edition of Shattered Lives Radio. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.